I just, I really appreciate these guys. They, uh, they're a blessing to me. I, I told Doug back in the back, uh, he, he was miking me up and I said, I want to, I want to thank you. In fact, he is really, he's going to help me this morning share and deliver this message because uh, without his help, I, I couldn't be doing uh, the things that I'm doing. Without John's help, certainly couldn't be doing the things uh, that we're attempting to do. Pray for your transition team. They're meeting again tonight, and uh, they are talking to a lot of people, a lot of uh, a lot of you have spoken to them, and, and uh, we're going to continue this process of communicating and sharing together. If you have your, your Bibles this morning, I want to encourage you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, and I've got to tell you a little story as we're, as we're getting ready for the message today. I, uh, I went to the op- optometrist this week uh, because as you get older, your eyes age, and um, for most of my life, I have enjoyed 20, 20, 20, actually 2015 vision. But about 12 years ago, they said, you have astigmatism and you, you need contact lenses. And I tried wearing those contacts and they didn't work. And, and they kept falling out of my eyes. And so I just got the glasses to read with, you know, uh, because I do not, I, I just don't wear glasses well. They fall off. I, but, but something really traumatic happened to me. I was on a golf course and I couldn't see the ball. My buddy said, that's because you didn't hit it. <laughs> like usual, you know, but uh, so I, I, I got contacts this week and I can see you all. It's amazing. I can see you, but I can't see my notes now because they gave me distance. They didn't give me up close. So occasionally I'm going to have to stick those back on until they can figure this one out. But I, uh, I, I want this morning for us to read a couple of verses, if, if I can read them, um, from Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. We'll begin there. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The famed Niagara Falls were threatened in 1898 when a developer by the name of William T. Love started digging a canal nine miles away from the falls to divert water and ultimately to create hydroelectric power. But the city repurposed that that abandoned mile-long stretch because there was an economic downturn that ended William T. Love's mile-long stretch of ditch. During that time, the city began to repurpose that, and as they repurposed that, they allowed it to become a dump, and there were layers and layers of chemicals, 20 1,000 tons in all to be deposited over the decades. In 1953, they closed and they began to seal that dump and they covered the area with dirt and the school board built two schools on it. 
Developers built neighborhoods there. In 1962, there was an expressway that was built right on top of the site, and happy residents began to fill the area. But as the water table rose, the chemical seals broken by construction started seeping those toxins, those chemicals. Pools of oil and poisonous puddles began to dot that neighborhood. And in 1978, the federal government came in, declared the area a disaster, relocated residents, demolished many of the homes, and then resealed and refenced the land in what is now called the infamous Love Canal. The frightening thing about the whole situation is this. Considered to be one of the, most, one of the worst environmental disasters in all of America, the course of the danger was not visible. Decades passed while these chemical toxins gradually built up and made a deadly foundation on which people built their very lives. But nobody knew it until the damage was done. Thousands of people had their lives disrupted or destroyed by something underneath the surface that they were completely unaware. They didn't even know it existed. In the last 70 years, I want to tell you that in our country, America has accumulated layer upon layer of toxins upon which our spiritual, our emotional, our relational lives are built. And for the most part, people have felt the, the impact but are unaware of where the causes originated. Seven decades. That's what I want to look at this morning. I want to, I want to talk to you about the lost years, seven decades that have changed everything. If you hadn't noticed, America's culture is changing and changing fast. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, things are changing. And during the last seven decades, Americans have lost something that they, they desperately can't afford to lose. Let's do a little bit of history this morning. Have fun with me this morning, okay? Some of you look so spiritual right now, I'm concerned about you. Okay, that's better. Some of you are smiling. I, I looked at some of you and you hadn't smiled all morning. And you need to smile. Listen, it makes people wonder what you've been up to, okay? So I want you to smiling this morning, but I want you to have fun with me, but I want you to learn something this morning, and then I want you to respond, I want you to make some decisions today. In the 1950s, and some of you will just only remember that because your mom and dad talked to you about the, that era. I was born in the 50s, 1957 in fact. But in the 1950s, Americans lost their innocence. Let's do some history. World War II was over. The population grew rapidly. Rock music was born. There's going to be a picture of old Elvis. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Teenagers were liberated from their parents by cars. Yeah. And the 50s, there was an entertainment explosion that resulted in Hollywood. Hollywood became the number one shaper of values in America. Seven decades later, 
the results look like this. 96.7% of American homes have at least one television set, and I would venture to guess that many of us in this room have two and three and maybe even four. The average American consumes almost 60 hours of digital content each week across TV and radio and computer and mobile devices. By age five, the average child in America will watch 8,190 hours of TV, almost one full year of life by age five. By age 18, that same kid will have viewed 200,000 violent acts and 16,000 murders on TV or some mobile device. That exposure to media continues to shape values and lifestyles in ways no one anticipated. You have listened recently in the latest two shootings, one in El Paso, one up in Dayton, how that many politicians are saying now that one of those shootings was influenced by video games. A study done by six professors has resulted in these things. Number one, immaturity. Television culture rewards youthfulness and criticizes maturity. Materialism. Media creates the idea that we can somehow buy happiness. Passivity. We do television by watching. That carries over to the church. How do we do Christianity? You go to church, you sit and watch. That is not the church, ladies and gentlemen. But you think that I'm here and Doug's here and this worship team's here to entertain you. Not. You see, God never called us to sit and soak. Some of us even soul. God called us to get involved, to participate, to be a part of it all because it is in participation and knowing our unique giftedness where we fit in that cog and in that wheel so that for the glory of God, the message of this church, the vision of this church gets to a lost and dying community. Teaching and entertainment have become inseparable. Personalities now are more important than ideas. That is, that is impacting even political elections in ways we're just beginning to understand. Instant gratification is now accepted as the norm. Everything on television is condensed and resolved right now. Today's American child has no concept of the future. Television provides people with their value structure. Oh my goodness. American kids and teens today are growing up in a brave new world with unlimited access to everything. In one hour, students can watch a music video and see more sex and violence than their grandparents could have ever even imagined. We have lost our innocence. Maybe that's why we are now dealing with the first generation in history that is sophisticated but not mature. The 1960s, Americans lost authority. In the 1960s, Americans seemed to be on the eve of destruction. It was a, it was a decade of significant events. The Vietnam War. Massive protest all over the country. Woodstock, I remember saying that one time and 
And uh, I, was, I was pastoring a church in, in central Missouri, and after the service I had said something. I didn't think I was too hard on Woodstock, but I, 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 I said, and, and a, a couple stopped me at the door, and they said, listen, we're going to find a new church. I said, how come? Because we went to Woodstock, and we liked it, and you didn't like it. I said, well, bless your heart. I didn't hardly know what to say. But listen to me. If you don't think this rock concert didn't have any influence in America, you are sadly mistaken. LSD, psychedelic drugs, I mean the riots in, Saint, in, in Los Angeles, I almost said St. Louis, there were riots there too. Detroit, Chicago, Memphis. Man, the 60s. The assassinations of Robert Kennedy, John F. Kennedy, Martin Luther King Jr. The result. Ladies and gentlemen, people lost respect for authority. People stopped trusting authority. People lost faith in authority in almost any form. Unfortunately, the attitude has never changed. What we see going on in, in, in the city of New York with, with people dousing police officers with water is an atrocity. It is, it is a shame. Well, I, I saw this morning what I saw this morning on the news watching some athletes from our country flying and, and competing under the banner of the United States flag, but they would not stand for the flag. If you're going to compete for this country, you better be able to stand when the, the, the Pledge of Allegiance and the, the national anthem is being played. Otherwise, you, you need to go to an independent country. Now, I didn't say that for your, your clapping. I'm glad you agree with me. But you know what? We live in a country where we can disagree. The problem is for you all right now, if you disagree with me, I got the stage. <laughs> but the attitude has never changed. This is why Jesus' prescription for spiritual health, which requires submitting to the authority of God and to the authority of Scripture, is a foreign language to today's generation. The 1970s. Americans lost love. Some historians refer to the decade of the 70s as the decade that never happened. Comedians scoff and quip by saying, if you remember the 70s, you weren't there. <laughs> You'll get that later. The 70s was a decade of excess and self-centeredness. I grew up in the 70s. As the, as the Vietnam War fizzled out, America stopped thinking about they could change the world, and, and they were freed from all the restraints. And so they started following Timothy Leary's mantra, turn on, tune in, drop out. Dress, disco, and drugs exploded into the American culture. And during the me decade, television, movies, magazines, do you remember the Self magazine? promoted a new era of sensitivity and feelings. But self-actualization turned into self-absorption, and families in the 1970s came apart, despite reading Jonathan Livingston's Seagull. <laughs> Americans learned from love story 
that love means never having to say you're sorry. Huh? Ironically, it was during that free love decade that they lost the one thing they talked about the most. You know what it was? Love. Americans were bombarded with the message that sexual purity is for prudes and losers. To paraphrase what, what, what social scientists said in the following decades, that Americans are starving for love, but instead they settle for sex. The poisonous idea that has robbed future generations of the kind of commitment and integrity for developing lasting relational intimacy. This, this free love gift from the 70s is a gift that has never stopped taking. It's still affecting us today. The 1980s, Americans lost values. As Americans became preoccupied with glamour and fashion and wealth and media, the 1980s introduced them to the fast lane of rapid change. You know, Hollywood helped us, everybody, get in touch with his or her valley girl. I mean, the launch of the first space shuttle led to, to global communications. The rapid development of technology sparked cultural and social revolutions that, that went on to impact the world. And the rise of technology and communications led to an expansion of wealth and the ease of easy credit. Man, created one of the most intense consumer cultures in the history of our country. As Americans worked harder, we, we began to consume more. Houses filled with consumer goods, and people began parking their, their vehicles in the driveways because they began putting their stuff in their garage. Storage facilities popped up everywhere. I don't know about you, but down in Venice, we have, we have a massive growth. We have, we have homes and apartments going up everywhere, and right beside them, you know what we have? Storage facilities. Because people don't buy homes big enough for their stuff anymore, or maybe they do, and then they get more stuff and need more storage. But people need storage. Storage facilities popped up everywhere and continue, and the demand for places to put their stuff in. In the 70s, 1970s taught us to care about ourselves first. Then the 80s taught us to start caring about how much we owned. And in, and, and in the 1980s, greed was good. The mantra was life, liberty, and the purchase of happiness. The 1990s, Americans lost faith. The 1990s was a jarring decade of highs and lows. The Persian Gulf War, O.J. Simpson's Ford Bronco chase. Remember that? The L.A. riots kept America glued to their television sets, and unthinkably, in the heartland of America, bombers attacked the Alfred P. Murrow Federal Building in Oklahoma. Then students massacred their classmates at a high school in Littleton, Colorado, Columbine High School. Even yet today, most of us are saying, what is happening in our country? Even with the latest two shootings, and we could talk.
talk about 15 others that have happened since, many, many more. Many of us are fearful to even send our children to school. Who would have ever thought that at every school now in Florida, we have a SRO, a student resource officer, maybe two or three of them with guns. Now the SROs are carrying stun guns, metal detectors. In the 1990s, Americans lost faith. The 2000s, Americans lost security. Time Magazine listed the 2000s as the decade from hell. January 1, 2000 dawned. Americans feared Y2K, the computer bug, expected to wreak havoc when electronic calendars clicked over into the new millennium. But after the big lead up and all these people saying this and that was going to happen, most of us looked around and realized it didn't, did it? We're still here. And then, <laughs> yeah, some of you are glad you're still here. <laughs> After that big lead up, many people began to stockpile food, expecting the worst. You remember that? Some even built shelters and underground houses. The decade started with only a scare, but our worst fears were realized when on September 11, 2001, terrorists took down the United Flight 93, hit the Pentagon, and the, they, they destroyed the Twin Towers. The towers weren't the only thing that came down that day. For many of us, 9-11 is the day Americans lost all sense of personal security. I guarantee you in the last 18 years, if, if you ever went to the airport before, it's, it's totally changed now. And since that day, many of us even live in our homes with security systems and in neighborhoods with security gates. Often I've heard people say, I feel insecure in my own house. I feel I feel, I don't feel safe anymore, Pastor. The 2010s, Americans lost hope. By the year 2010, when it rolled around, the USA was grappling with the Great Recession, which nearly toppled the world's entire financial system. With the economy teetering, millions of people lost their jobs. I sold a home during that time. Trust me when I tell you, I lost a lot of money. Someone said to me, though, when I made that statement, well, it wasn't actually money. It was only on paper. <laughs> you know, I always get tickled at these financial planners when I, when I talk to them and say, you know, one of these days I'm thinking about retiring. Am I going to have enough in there? And, well, right now it's just paper. I, I, I need it to be more than paper. You know, if I'm going to retire. But, but it's amazing when, when the economy, when we went through this recession, there were a lot of people out of work. You will find people still to this day who did not recover. Many of those people with, with bachelor's degrees, master's degrees, even some with their doctorate. No place to go. Out of work, out of luck. Many Americans have lost the one thing that they most need. Hope. 
hope. Even today, 63% of Americans believe the economy is getting worse, not better. 62% indicate that they're very concerned for their own job security. And 91% report being deeply concerned about the economic outlook for their kids and their grandchildren. They should when we're so far in debt as a country. My kids, my grandchildren will be paying that debt off and maybe my great-grandchildren. For the first time in American history, young people ages 16 to 25, those, those, those Gen Y, I'm sorry, those Gen X or Gen Zs, I was, it's YXZ, Alan. Those Gen Zers, I've got one Gen Zer in my, in my, in my family. My, my youngest son is a, a Gen Z, but millennials are, are, are a breed unto their own. But, but when people lost faith in the future, they lost hope in the present. And you say, Pastor, why, why does all that matter? You remember last week we started this, this, this series of messages and, and I challenged you at the close of the message with a knocking at the door. Behold, Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. Largely unseen, the seven decades that I have shown you today have shaken us to our core Sometimes buried deep underground, these cultural shifts have changed everything. They have created a moral love canal in our country. And you know, they tell me that in the next 10 years, we will change exponentially as much as we have over the last 70 years. Technology is growing at such a rate. I mean, it's impossible to keep up with. In each of these seven decades, we have lost at least one thing that is essential for emotional and relational and spiritual health. First Baptist Church, look at me and listen to me. Right now, your transition team is gathering. They, they have studied all week about the history, the heritage of this church. They're discovering some really amazing facts. They're discovering some things about who we were. But make no mistake about it, who we are and who we can be, we can do something about that. We can't do anything about that past. Now, we can, we, can, we, can, we can say, wow, that was awesome. And there are some, I mean, there are some amazing people who have, who have really paid the price for this place and for you to be here. Those that have gone before us have done a, a good job. I, uh, I'm the father of five, and you know that. But my oldest son, Robbie, is now uh, 30 Two, almost 32. It would be 32 in November. It's hard to keep track of all their birthdays. And then the grandchildren expect you to keep track of all their birthdays. And so, but, but anyway, Robbie, when he was just a little guy, we, we, were, we were in the process of, of, of potty training him. And if you're a parent here today, you, you, will, you, you will understand. And if you've been a parent, you'll understand what I'm going to say to you this morning. But if you've never been a parent, you'll say, that was a gross illustration. <laughs> okay? 
But one day, you'll probably be a parent, and you'll remember this, this story. It's a true story. It had been a long, long Sunday. I had preached four times that day, actually five. I had preached four times that morning, once that evening, and uh, we usually ate supper after church. And so we had gone to the local McDonald's, you know, that, that really good, healthy food. This is several years ago. I hadn't been into a McDonald's in a long time, but, but, but I was so, so looking forward to that Big Mac and those fries and that big, big, large Coca-Cola. And, and like Pastor, Pastor always has people with him, and we had, I bet we had 25 folks that had said, we're going to McDonald's with the pastor, and I said, just as long as I'm not paying for it, y'all can come. No, I would have paid for it if, if, I, if they wanted me to, I would have paid for it. But, but, but we, we all sat down. It was in that time years ago that pastor always wore a tie. And man, I even had a tie on Sunday night. I'm so glad I can be me. Did you like my shirt today? We got some new curtains, new, new stuff at the house. And so I've just made a shirt out of the old ones. Anyway. We got sat down, we got our meal, and my dear late wife was sitting there, and my, my young daughter was there. I was, I was ready to eat, and I'd forgotten, you know, pastor needs to pray. And, and Donna looked at me, and she said, we need to pray. I said, I'm hungry. <laughs> Lord bless his food, amen. <laughs> and I no more, you know, prayed, and got that sandwich up to my mouth, and my son says, Dad, i got to use the bathroom. Huh? Can you hold it? i got to go. Well, we were training him, you know, and when he said he got to go, he got to go. So I looked at Donna as if to say, can you take him? And she said, it's your turn, sweetheart, <laughs> as she put her filet of fish up to her mouth. Oh. <sighs> So I said, come on, bud, hurry, let's go, let's go, let's go. Well, we get back in the bathroom. Now, don't, don't freak out on me, okay? He says, I want to use that. And that was the thing up on the wall, the urinal. So I helped him unzip and got him up there. He was barely, you know, big. And we had learned that you got to praise him a little bit. I said, as he, good job, buddy. Good job. Good job. Good job, man. Well, I thought while I'm in here, I'm going to go. I said, you stand right over there. We're going to wash your hands in just a minute. I'm standing there, and he comes over, and he goes, good job, Dad. <laughs> good job. <laughs> Be quiet. People are in this bathroom. Good job, Dad. Well, I, I was, I'm looking around the bathroom making sure that nobody has seen a little toddler telling a man good job as he's urinating. I mean, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm humiliated. I'm washing my hands, and he gets away from me out the door, and he goes, Hey, Mom, Dad did a good job. I mean, a good job. And I'm going, oh. Mm, mm. I get back to the table and that sandwich is cold and she looked at me and she said, good job, honey. I want you to do a good job in capturing what I'm about to say to you. Don't miss it. 
in each of the last seven decades, we've lost some things, ladies and gentlemen. Listen, it is impossible to be emotionally healthy. It is impossible to be relationally healthy. It is impossible to be spiritually healthy. Church, listen to me. Without innocence, without authority, without love, without values and faith and security and hope, try raising kids without innocence or values or authority. Try leading a team. Try leading a church. Try leading a business without respect for authority. Try building a healthy marriage without love or values or faith. Try building a better future without faith and hope. Try being emotionally healthy without security or hope. Try being happy without hope. All around us, people are starving for these seven things and have no clue where to find them when where they should be able to find them is right here. Right here. Right there. They should get it from us. And why does all this matter to First Baptist Church of Bradenton? People in this room and all around us are feeling the effects of those seven things, the loss of those things in ways like never before. This has created openness, ladies and gentlemen, for something, anything that actually works. One of the things I'm finding out is, and, and I, I've, I've talked to a, a, a significant number of people here, and, and some of you are still living in the good old days. And those days, those days are long past since. We're not going back to the good old days. Were there some good things that happened? Oh, absolutely. But we live in 2019. We're almost at, at this decade of 2020, and the next decade could see the greatest impact for Christian faith for First Baptist Church of Bradenton in centuries. Why? Because most people, especially parents, are reeling from the loss of these seven things. All of us understand that these things won't be restored by the government, by the election of a president, by culture, or a new technological advancement. Church, what a great decade to point people to Jesus. And listen, why? Where do you find innocence? In the forgiveness of God. Time after time, I've stood in, in altars like this one, clutched, embraced with the hands of people who've said, Pastor, you just won't believe. You won't even understand what I have done. Thinking that I am not his sinner too. Listen, whatever it is that you have done, my God is big enough to forgive you. And he loves you enough that he died for you. And you see, young lady, no matter where you have been or what you have done, Christ is bigger than your sin. And he wants not only to forgive you of your sin, but to, to bury it in the deepest part of the ocean to be remembered no more. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. 
And so where do you find authority in the character of God? Our God is holy. He is a God of justice, but he's also a God of love. Where do you find love? In the unlimited agape love of God. Where do you find lasting values you can build your life on? In the word of God. Where do you find faith? In the promises of God. Where do you find security? In the faithfulness of God. He said, I will never leave you. I won't forsake you. No matter what comes your way, no matter what happens, I will be there. And let me assure you through personal experience, he is. I'm so thankful today that I can stand and, and clearly testify that in the darkest storms of my life, Jesus has always been found faithful. Where do you find hope? All of the above. And so you say, Pastor, you're smiling. That's because First Baptist Church, we could be on the front edge of the greatest decade in the history of this church to turn people to Jesus. I want that desperately. Some of you have heard me say, I want someday in my lifetime to come to this building and see it packed at least twice on a Sunday morning. But you know what? I think that's a little low. Why would you settle, Alan, for two auditoriums full? Why wouldn't you settle for this auditorium to be filled four times on a Sunday morning? Well, we could never do that. You know what? You're right. But God could. But God would use us. Now, I'm going to be very frank with you. Some of you really don't want that to happen. You know why? Because it will upset your apple cart. It, it, would, it would bother where you would get to sit. It would not be your church anymore. But can I be so bold to tell you, it's not your church right now. It's the Lord's. You see, I can say those things because y'all can fire me and I still have a job. But I'm doing it because I love you. Some of you have to get past your past in order to get to your present and your future. First Baptist Church, you got to get past your past. What? does Jesus want us to do? He said he would stand at the door and he was knocking. I've tried to give you a, a little bit of a history lesson this morning and I hope that what I've done is basically uncover the bottom of the iceberg. You always see the top, you never see all of the stuff underneath it. We live in a tumultuous time very trying time. Some people say a time that is so destructive for the church. I don't say that. I say we are living in the greatest time, the greatest challenge ever. Because now there is clearly a differentiation. There is a difference. We can and we should be pointing people to Jesus, seeing people come and saying yes to Christ, seeing lives transformed, 
people's lives being changed, finding hope where hope can be found, finding truth where only truth can be found, finding innocence again where only innocence can be found, finding faith and finding liberation and freedom. I love you all. I hope you know that. But I pray, I pray consistently. I prayed even this morning as I was driving up from Venice. Lord, who are you going to save today? Whose life are you going to put back together today in a small group setting, in the worship time? God, where and who are you going to work on today? I want you to look at me. Close your Bibles. And I'm going to ask you this morning to respond in this way. If today you have never trusted Christ to be your Savior and your Lord, wow, why not today? Today would be a wonderful day for that to happen. Man, woman, student, today would be a great day to say, I, I give up, I surrender. I repent of my sin and I trust Christ alone to be my Lord and my Savior. Today, if you've come to this church and you've been thinking about joining this church and be, being a part of this family called First Baptist Church of Bradenton, I would encourage you, come, come. We had a couple last, last week come from, from, from Cold Springs, Kentucky to be a part of this church. I was so thrilled. Today, if you've never followed the Lord in believer's baptism, hey, why not? Why don't you do that? If today, maybe, just maybe, you would come and say to Pastor John or myself or, 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 or to one of these who are attending at the, at the invitation, you'd say, you know what? I've, I kind of lost my hope. But my hope's been restored. My, I, I believe God really does have a future, not only for me, but for my church, for First Baptist Church. We need to hear things like that. They, they encourage us. They, they, they spur us on. I spoke to one of your members about a month and a half ago, a friend of mine in this church, and he said these words to me. He said, you know, I, I was pretty low. I was thinking about leaving this church. But he put his arm around me. He said, Pastor, I'm all in. God's restored me. God strengthened me. I listened to that same friend this week really share some things that, that just blessed me. I got to tell you that when I began to hear things like that, that God is at work, I get excited. I get blessed. Is God at work in you? Is God saying something to you today? I want you to stand with me. Every, every person standing, our, our worship team is going to lead us this morning.